here's what we're talking about today. I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a moment or experienced a moment in your life that is so extraordinary? There's something so intense happening, something that has such great anticipation that you can't help but rise to your feet. There's just something going on that's, that's so, so wild, so you're just so into it that you can't stay seated. There's no possible way for you to stay seated. You just rise to your feet. I can think of a few arenas where that's happened in my life. Obviously, the, the most common one that I've seen is in a sporting event, right? Sometimes in the stands, it's usually toward the end of the game, and the game is so close sometimes, the score, you don't know who's going to come ahead, and literally, you just see nobody has to prompt them to do it, and there's no signal to do it. The, the whole stands just stands up because they don't know who's going to win. They don't know who's going to rise up to greatness and win this game. Um, if you've ever watched a professional basketball game, the first three quarters are usually pretty boring. That's just my opinion. Those guys are just paying the bills. They're passing the ball back and forth. The score is going back and forth. But then you get to the fourth quarter, and something different starts to happen. For the first few minutes of the first quarter, it's about respect. It's about personal pride. But then eventually what happens in the last two minutes, especially if it's a close game, is you see who's going to rise up to a new level of greatness. And that's where the really extraordinary players start to play. And they just want the ball in their hands because they want to show everybody what they can do and win that game. And again, no signal. You don't have to prompt anybody. Everybody just rises to their feet. I've also been at concerts or, or theatrical productions where, you know, you go to, there's always grateful applause at these types of events. You know, we're entertained. Thank you for entertaining us. Good job. You hit the notes. But every once in a while, you're at one of these shows or these events where the performance is so extraordinary that everybody just erupts into applause and leaps to their feet. It's just beyond your control. And what I want to show you today is there's a moment that I believe is in Scripture in our history where Jesus actually stood to his feet in anticipation of how someone was living a moment of their life. And I'm going to show it to you. It's in Acts chapter 7. If you want to turn there, we'll put it on the screen too. By the way, if you're new, there's an outline in your bulletin. You can pull that out and follow along today if you'd like. But I believe that this was a moment in history that was so uncommon, so exhilarating to God himself that Jesus actually stood to his feet in response to what this man was doing. So it's in the midst of a story of a man named Stephen, if you've ever heard of this guy. It's describing the last few minutes of his life. And I want us this morning to look at this because I'm going to call our church to make a stand today, that there's a stand that I believe we're called to make. And um, I think it's something we need to do as a family. So let's look at the life of Stephen because we need to ask ourselves this question. Will the way that we live our lives, or even a moment of our lives, as is for Stephen, cause God to have some exhilarating rush within his spirit where he stands to his feet? So let's look at Stephen because we need to ask ourselves that question. Verse 54. Stephen had just finished preaching a message that the religious leaders did not appreciate. <laughs> and he, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now what I want to point out to you is this is an exclusive description in all of Scripture. Every other time that this is mentioned in all of the Bible, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But here's this moment where Stephen looks up and he literally says he sees Jesus standing 
at the right hand of God. It says, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him away out of the city and began to stone him. That doesn't mean they gave him pot to smoke, by the way. That means that they were throwing rocks at him in order to kill him and crush his bones. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. So what I want you to notice here is the last thing that this man Stephen saw on earth before he passed into eternity in this, in this moment that is both very dramatic and very tragic. The very last thing he sees as he's declaring the coming of the living God, he's speaking to these religious leaders who still did not get it. They were in positions of authority and power within the, the, the religious uh, community, and they still did not understand the true meaning of Jesus. And he's talking about how the Savior has come He's the one that was promised to all of Israel, to all these people, and he's declaring it to them, and the last thing he sees when they're stoning him to death for preaching that message is not their act of violence, but what he describes as the glory of God, and Jesus not sitting, but now standing at the right hand of God. And, and, and I think what an amazing moment that must have been for Stephen as he ends his life, as he finishes his race being killed for the cause of Christ literally to almost physically see Jesus giving him a standing ovation as he crosses the line. And so that made me ask a question. What about my life? What about your life? Are there moments in my life on the things that I've done up to now that would in a sense cause Jesus to stand to his feet in anticipation for what's going on here on earth? And I have to be honest with you, if my life is a series of acts and a long play that God is watching, I think there's a lot of moments and scenes where the curtain should have just been closed. There have been times in my life where I've looked at myself and I just wish that God would take the spotlight and put it on somebody else so that he couldn't see the life that I was living because I clearly wasn't living for him. The choices I was making clearly did not honor him. And you know, I think there's been moments in my life where as God is watching, he probably said, yeah, good job. You hit the notes, but guys, I, I have to wonder, and, and I have to hope that maybe, just maybe, there was a moment or two that caused that rush within God's spirit where it was something extraordinary, where it was something where God's looking on and watching and enjoying what he's seeing in just a fresh way. And uh, how do we do that, so, is the question. How do, we, how do we make those choices? How do we live our lives in that way? Um, to have those extraordinary moments, to take that stand. And I think you, most people would think after hearing what we just read about Stephen that Stephen's life had always been extraordinary, that it must have started in an extraordinary way. It must have started in this crazy huge way because that's how we kind of see things in our culture, which is a lie, because that's how it usually works. You hear these lines all the time like, oh, there was just something about that guy. You know, she, she just had, the, she had that X factor. There was something about her that nobody else had. You know, she just always had a wit about her. There was always just a brightness to him, something different. But here's the problem in our culture is usually when you hear those statements made about people as extraordinary, they're only extraordinary in, somehow in the eyes of the world. What I'm talking about is extraordinary moments in the eyes of God, which is usually opposite of what the world finds extraordinary. And so when you look at Stephen's story, his story didn't begin that way. Here's how the story begins. Let me, let me fill you in. If we go a chapter back, 
there was a problem in this community of faith, and they were trying to solve the problem. And so there was this situation where the movement of Jesus Christ had grown, and all these new followers had been added to the church, in the early church, and there were two types of Jews. There were what they called Hebraic Jews, and then there were a different kind of Jew called Hellenistic Jews. And you and I might not have any clue about what the difference is, but trust me, back then they knew the difference. And there were widows at the same time. And so they remembered the words of Jesus when he said, do not neglect taking care of the widows and the orphans, or you have no faith, is basically what Jesus himself said. This is one of the most important things to do. And the situation was there were Hebraic Jews and there were widows who were Hellenistic Jews, and the Hebraic Jews were not taking care of the Hellenistic widows. These widows were not being fed, they were not being taken care of, uh, and they had no way to support themselves back then. The Hebraic widows were being taken care of, but not the Hellenistic widows. And I don't think they meant to, but for whatever reason, the religious leaders at the time were overlooking, they were ignoring, they were not caring for these widows. And so, by the way, have you ever noticed that you can see people who are more like you a lot easier than you can see people who are different from you? And that's not how it's meant to be, but somehow that's crept its way into, into our culture. And I don't even always think it's about racism or prejudice, but there's just something about our human condition that when people are more like us, we see them a lot more quickly than we see people who are really different from us. And so you find in the chapter before, in chapter 6, if you want to go back there, you find these religious leaders trying to solve this dilemma about the widows because they need to be taken care of. It's not that they're not concerned. And so the story begins in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. In other words, what they're actually saying there is, you know, this job over here of taking care of these women is it's important but it's not as important as what we're doing so we're not going to actually stoop to that level and take care of them that's what they're really saying we're the 11 apostles we've got a job to do and this is really important but you know this is important too somebody's got to do it because they're not getting fed so we're going to pick somebody to go take care of them that's what they're saying so they they say pick seven pick seven who are full of the holy spirit and wisdom because we need people we can trust we need people with character, people that are going to make good choices and be responsible with the resources, but in the end, put somebody else in charge of this task because we don't want to do it. So it goes, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will take this responsibility and turn it over to them. We will give our attention over to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group, and it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And guys, no matter how much you try to doctor this or touch it up, there was absolutely nothing prestigious or glamorous about this job. Okay, this was a job that, that, that they did not consider uh, prestigious. It was like, well, somebody has to do it. You know, they're just serving people behind the scenes. It's not a big deal, so let's just pick somebody else to do it. Um, pick seven, send them to do it. So really what we find in Stephen, here's my point, is that he started his journey to that great moment at the end of his life. He started it before that where, where he simply starts somewhere and is willing to serve people in need. He's simply willing to give himself away to others and serve people in the kingdom of God. That's where it all begins for him. In a job that many of us would say, oh, it's not that big a deal, it's behind the scenes, nobody knows about it, but it's important. It's taking care of people who need to be taken care of. And 
I think the problem with so many of us in the church and, and, and the problem with so many people in the world that we live in is that we really want to live in our extraordinary moment from the very beginning. And, and by the way, and take a tip from this young people, there's, a, there's a, a, a higher percentage in our current generation of younger people who are graduating from high school and college who are not actually entering the workforce as early. And I believe one of the reasons for that is because right when they graduate from school, they want to go into their dream job. And that's not real life. Because even though you have a degree, you don't have any experience. And you haven't built yourself up to that yet. And so, you know, the path to those kinds of things always starts smaller than you expect. And, and, and we're conditioned to this in our culture because, you know, we can go watch a movie in the movie theater and in 90 minutes, that's all it takes, we can see somebody go from birth to death. And of course, we're missing a lot of stuff in between parts of the story, right? In 90 minutes or less, we can see somebody go from humble beginnings to living a heroic life as if it, that's as long as it takes. In 90 minutes, you can go and conquer the entire world and that's, that's the kind of stuff that we feed our brain with. How many of you saw the movie um, Alexander years ago, where Alexander the Great goes and conquers the world? I guess nobody did. But um, it was a three-hour movie. It took him a little longer to conquer the world. And if you saw the movie, it, it took way too long. Um, <laughs> but see, what we have in our minds is we have this precondition built into us now where we want to live in our extraordinary moment. We want to live in our apex moment where we're being used greatly and we want to move to the level of our story that is more commonly found toward the end of our story, but we want to do it right away in the beginning, as if there's no preparation or humble beginnings involved. And, and that's just not how the kingdom of God usually works. And what we don't recognize is that at the beginning of any life that becomes heroic, at the beginning of any life that God uses to do extraordinary things, is always somebody who's simply willing to start right where they're at and serve people. And that's from the words of Jesus. And, and, you know, we really want to make a difference. And you hear this all the time. We want to make a difference. We want to serve others. We want to do the things Jesus told us to do. We want to make a contribution. But, you know, the opportunities that are coming our way, they're just, they're just beneath us. So we're going to wait for the better opportunity before we actually step in and serve people or serve God. And that's what we see a lot of the times. And it's like, what do you mean come early and help set up? That's ridiculous. I'm going to lose 10 minutes of sleep. You know, what do you mean stay after and help clean up? What do, you mean, what do you mean help serve kids while other people get to sit in church? You know, it's, it's like I want to give a contribution to, to the kingdom of God, but I want to give a contribution that's equal to the level of gifting that I have, right? I mean, do you see who I am? And that's the mindset that a lot of us have. And, and so I, I think another part of it is we spend our lives sometimes trying to wait until we're asked to do these great things or, or, or to be discovered by somebody like we're on American Idol. And, and that's not real life. And so I, I think a lot of us spend our lives that way waiting for an opportunity rather than just starting wherever we're at in life, no matter where that is, to simply start giving our lives away and serving people. And that's what Christianity really is about. Where, where you know, we're some, a place that we can start making just a small difference in the world. And see, Stephen, he became the kind of man that then at the end of his life had that extraordinary moment that God really noticed because he was willing to simply start someplace and start serving others. And, and that's the way it is in the body of Christ. The movement of Jesus, it, it's a movement, by the way, that's all about character. Did you know that? It's not about talent. It's about character. 
And if you look all throughout Scripture and church history, the people who were used for the most extraordinary things by God were not the most talented. They were the ones with the character who were actually willing to say yes to something, even if it wasn't what they originally planned on doing. And I find that fascinating. So um, that's what you find with this guy Stephen, you know, because uh, Stephen became that kind of man. And the point is it's about character, not talent. There's a church that I'm familiar with that I've helped out a few times in the past, and they've had uh, three different pastors in the last five years because two of the pastors have fallen into certain sexual sin. And so now they're on a third pastor, and now they have this huge cultural crisis within their community of faith. And see, the problem with that, looking at it from the outside, is it's really easy for them to make comments like, well, it was that pastor, and he made that decision, and he made that choice. And I could give you once, but three times, you have a different problem here. You have a leadership problem in this church. You have a leadership problem where you're going after the most talented people instead of focusing on the character of the person you're bringing on as a leader, which is the most important thing. And I think that's happening all over the nation in our churches where all of a sudden we're creating this this cult of personality, this personality of cult within our churches where we... The leaders care more about bringing in a personality or a talent than they do about assessing the character of the the men and women they bring into leadership. And this is where the focus needs to be. And so, you know, there's something that we typically do here at Rise, and, 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 and there's exceptions sometimes, but we typically only hire people here from within. And the reason for that is... Um, for the most part, we don't go out and accept resumes. We don't post jobs when we have them here. We hire people from within because we've seen their character. We've seen them be willing to start at places and serve God and serve others in a humble way. And it's like, okay, now that proves character. Because if you're only willing to do something for money, that's not servanthood. That's not what it's about. And, and you know, people have come to us once in a while and they've said, why don't you, you know, go after the brightest and the best? And there's pastors out there looking for jobs. There's church staff out there looking for jobs who are really great. And, man, we could really boom if we bring them in. That's not what this is about. It's about the character. And mark my words, if we don't assess the character deeply of every person we put into leadership within our churches, we're in trouble. And that's where the problems come from. And so here's the real reason, though, and if you want to write this down, there's a spot for it. The path to greatness in the kingdom of God, it always begins with servanthood. It always begins with servanthood, every time. And, and almost every staff member we have at this church, they started just by serving here as a volunteer. Including me, by the way, years ago when I planted a church and didn't get it paid anything. And so the point is, though, in the kingdom of God, until we're willing to step up and just say, I'm going to start somewhere and I'm going to serve people as Jesus did, to begin anywhere to move away from that framework that things are beneath us, you know, it needs to be like, if it makes the world a better place, if it serves others, if it honors God, I'm in. Let's do it. I want to be a part of it. And so then, what you find in the, the, the story of Stephen is not only does he just start somewhere, not only does he just start anywhere waiting on tables, but he then steps up and he steps into a challenge. So let's look at that now. Because what ends up happening Um, in so many of our lives, is we end up wanting these great moments where people can see all this potential in us. And trust me, there's potential in all of us. God puts it there. It's there. Um, But then what happens is when that moment comes, when that bigger opportunity comes where God's going to use us for something extraordinary, we're not ready for it because we've been grumbling about waiting on tables for widows and not doing anything. 
And so when we're not willing to start small and serve in some capacity and serve somewhere in the kingdom of God and serve people in need, then when those bigger opportunities come our way, we haven't been faithful in the small things, so those big opportunities, we're not going to be ready for them. And I see it all the time because we're grumbling. And so what happens with Stephen is the circumstances around him dramatically change, but he didn't change the circumstances around him. They just changed, and he was ready and prepared when they did change, so he was able to take on this challenging opportunity at that point because he'd been working on his character and serving others. So let's go to verse 8 now, chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So he's doing great things. God's using them. There's fruit coming. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cyrene and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And listen to this part. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. See, I love this, because these men called the freedmen, they came and they were, they were coming to make a point. They were trying to make a strong point. They were going to stop this movement that they saw starting. And I know why they picked Stephen, by the way. They picked Stephen because he was just the common guy. He was the guy who hadn't se- didn't seem to have ever done anything extraordinary. They picked Stephen because he was just the guy waiting on tables and serving food to, to widows. That's all he was. That's all he was doing. Right? Let's not pick Peter. We're not going to, I mean, Peter, Peter preaches one sermon in one day and 3,000 people get converted. We're not going to pick Peter. He'll beat us to a bloody pulp if we argue with him. We're going to pick Stephen because he's not really doing much. There can't be much behind curtain number three. So that's why they pick him, but because of his character and he'd always been a servant, big stuff happens. So they begin to oppose Stephen, and then Stephen, because he's ready, begins to speak into that moment. And and they're overwhelmed, it says, by his wisdom and spiritual power. And uh, you know what's going on is that Stephen was a man who was preparing ahead of time for every God opportunity that came along. He didn't just say, well, you know, I'm only waiting on tables. That's really all I'm doing, so I don't really need to study the Scriptures because you don't really need to understand Deuteronomy or Leviticus to pass the gravy. It's a really simple job. I don't need to work on my spiritual character for that. So this whole process of serving widows, I mean, a lot of people would say it doesn't really require Stephen to be a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, right? He's just passing the grub. But here's the thing, and, and I think this is the crazy thing about it, guys. There is no task that you will ever be involved in, no matter how small you think it is here on this, this earth, that cannot use more presence and intimacy with Jesus Christ from you. There is, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be serving lattes at Starbucks, or you could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or everything in between. And there is nothing that you could do in your life in your entire life, that could not justify walking more deeply in community with Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that gives you that power for living and prepares you for the bigger opportunities that come along. And so what happened is Stephen, during this time where he's serving food, keeps walking with God and keeps communing with God and he keeps being filled with God's Spirit and being a man full of power and wisdom, even in these seemingly meaningless tasks. And then, when the moment comes, he's ready for it. See, God will stand to his feet when you and I just start somewhere, get in there, and are willing to serve people. And, and I, you know, I love that whole process of personal awareness. I love that. 
you know, I, I have a lot of friends into that, and I read those books, and what's your strength finder? What's your Myers-Briggs? What personality are you? What's your spiritual gift? All these different questions, and that's great, and we're developing some stuff like that to help you, by the way. Pastor Matthew's about to teach a class, if any of you want to go to it, where you learn what your spiritual giftings are, and you learn what your skills are, and how that fits you into ministry to serve God. It's a really cool class. I just looked through it. It's amazing. I'm really impressed with it. But at the same time, the problem with that kind of mindset comes when people say, you know what, that's not the right fit for me because that's just not what I'm gifted at. And sometimes that's used as, as an excuse or a cop-out in the kingdom of God because, well, I'm not going to serve in that capacity or serve people in this way because that's just not my gifting and that's not what I'm good at. And then years pass by and people haven't served others in any way, shape, or form. You see how that becomes a cop-out? And, and so, you know, I, I mean, what exact skills do you need to simply say, okay, I'm going to serve God? <laughs> it's time to just start if you're not uh, as a Christian. And so um, it's saying I'm going to become the person God wants me to be. I'm going to just start somewhere and give my life away. And then after that, I'm going to move to a place where I step into a challenge. Because here's a note for you if you're taking notes. I think many of us miss the opportunities that God puts right in front of us when we're too busy grumbling about what we don't get to do rather than preparing for what we must do. And so that's what happened with Stephen. And so then something in the story happens that's unusual. They get angry. The religious leaders get upset, which is rare. <laughs> so they look at Stephen, and they're surprised by him because they see something extraordinary in him. Watch what happens. Uh, verse 11. They're going to bring false accusations against this man now to try, to try to take him down with lies. So they secretly persuaded some men to say, you know, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all those sitting in the Sanhedrin, it says, looked intently at Stephen, and watch this, they saw his face was like the face of an angel. They didn't expect to see that. And, and see, I love this because Stephen hadn't even said anything yet. He hadn't even opened his mouth yet, and it says his face was like that of an angel. He hadn't even come to his own defense and argued yet. Have you ever, have you ever been accused of something falsely? Have you ever been maligned by somebody behind your back or in front of your back? <laughs> have you ever had somebody who, when they find out you're a Christian, they come harder at you to try to make you act or say things that prove you're not? <laughs> So here he's dragged into the Sanhedrin and they're raising all these false accusations against him and they look at him intently and it, all they can see is that his face is like that of an angel. I think that must have been absolutely confusing and somewhat terrifying for them. What do you think? But then that, that made me think, what do people see when they see you? What do people see when they see me? Do, you, do we stand apart from the crowd? Is our relationship with God such that it transcends the natural and people see something that's undeniable there? Is our relationship with Jesus such that when people look at us, they don't even really know necessarily what they believe yet, but they do say there has to be a God. See, our lives will have those kinds of moments 
when we choose to stand apart from the crowd and choose the path that is not so easily accepted by those that do not know God. But you know what? There's actually a little more here that we sometimes forget, guys. And and this is important. Don't miss this because this is going to be a mind shift for some of you. Because here's the reality. The people who were upset with Stephen for following Jesus in this moment were not the people who did not know God. The people who were upset with him were the people who did claim to believe in God. Or so they thought. And see, when you choose to take a stand and when you choose to live as Jesus said and serve the people around you and start with servanthood, you're going to make a lot of people who claim to be Christians really uncomfortable. Because Jesus did. And Stephen did by the way he lived. Because as you begin to live a different kind of life, it inevitably, without you even necessarily wanting it to, speaks a word of judgment over those in your life who claim to believe the things of Christ and follow Christ but really aren't. And they feel that and they're convicted by that. And it's just beyond your control. Somebody asked me a question one time years ago. And I remember it really clearly. He said, hey, I was wondering if you could clear something up for me. He said, my wife believes that everybody who comes to a church should serve. And I told her, I don't think that's true. I think everybody who wants to just come to the church and sit and listen and do absolutely nothing should just be able to come sit and listen and do absolutely nothing. And then he said, what do you think? (laughs) That's a challenging question. And there's a lot of different levels to that, so I wanted to answer it very carefully. Um, So I thought about it for a minute, and I said, do you really want to know what I think? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, this is what I think. I think that you should never have a church where everybody who comes serves because you should always have new people coming into every church asking serious questions wondering what this is all about and trying to decide is Jesus real and by the way they shouldn't be serving because we are the church and we're here to serve them they're not coming in here to serve us they're coming to be served by us who are the church that's biblical I said so I don't think you should ever have that because there should always be new people coming in who we are here to serve But then I said on the flip side, I don't think you should ever have a group of people that claim to be Christians who don't serve and who just sit and do nothing. Um, Because we can't expect people who don't know God to serve because we're the church and we're expected to serve them. But those who claim to follow Jesus Christ and that claim and believe that he died for them when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to step up and serve him. And then I said, and in response to your question that everybody should be able to just come into any church and sit and listen and never do anything, um, I said, do you know what my thought is? My thought is I think that if you say you're a Christian and you claim to believe in Jesus Christ and you don't ever want to do anything, then I actually think you should get your butt out of the seat and give it to somebody else because I was thinking out loud. (laughs) And then I said, in fact, I think if you have a church that's full of a bunch of Christians who just want to sit and listen and never do anything for the kingdom of God, then I actually think that church should be burned to the ground. But other than that, I have no opinion on it. (laughs) And so what happens is, the more close that you get to the things of God, in other words, you can sit in these seats and you can go to church and and, and all this stuff, and you're going to get closer to the things of God and see the things of God happening around you. The closer you get to the things of God, the more you're actually able to act like you know God without ever really knowing him. And I think that's the danger. And and so here in this moment, what you have is this dramatic contrast between 
all these people who know the law, they know the commands, they know what the scripture says, they know the Bible, they have all this knowledge in their head. They're experts on the subject. And yet when they looked at Stephen, they saw somebody else. They saw somebody that was now translated into a completely different creature because he was changed by knowing Jesus Christ. And it says his face was like that of an angel. And guys, only by the grace of God, in spite of me, have I had a couple of these moments in my life. Um, in a previous line of work, I used to travel for work all the time. And I remember getting on an airplane one time. And uh, I sat next to this woman on the plane. And we had this wonderful long conversation for the entire flight. And we talked about Jesus the whole time. It was incredible. You know, I know some of you say, like, how come I can never talk to people about Jesus? Guys, I can't get people to shut up about him. Um, my haircutter and when I travel, Uber drivers, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. Everybody wants to talk about Jesus. Um, and so I sit next to this woman, and uh, she tells me, you know, when you walked on the plane, I was feeling extremely depressed. And she said, in fact, I was feeling so depressed that I was actually physically feeling like I was about to black out. And she said, but when I saw you walk on the plane and come toward me, all of a sudden I had this peace come over me and I felt like I could breathe again. And then she says, what kind of magic do you have? <laughs> and I said, voodoo. No. <laughs> no, I said, well, it's not magic. Let me tell you about it. And we talked about Jesus for the next hour. And as the plane was getting ready to land, she looked at me and she said, so when you gave your life to Jesus, did he change your life that day? And I thought about it for a second, and I wanted to be real with her. I didn't want to give the canned answer, and I said, you know, no, my life was just as jacked up as it was the day before. He didn't change my life that day, but he began to change me. And when I allowed him to change me, as I did that, then my life began to change. And we had this wonderful conversation. But see, there's something that happens to us when we walk in relationship with Jesus and start making a stand to actually do the things that Jesus told us to do and live like he lived. And what happened to Stephen is he refused to conform to this apathetic expression of faith that we find in the church all around us and that he was finding in his religious community. And we need to wake up. We need to rise up. And, and, and that's what this group demanded, but he would not conform and he refused to be con conformed to it. His life, his very life was a demand for more. And so I, I want you to see one more thing that uh, this is the section where he's, he's preaching to them now <laughs> because he's prepared for it. Verse 51, it's just enough to give you a little taste of what he was doing. He says, you stiff-necked people, which by the way, 2,000 years ago was not a compliment. He said, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the real Savior. And now you've betrayed and murdered him, by the way, guys. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. That's what he says to them. And this is why they were furious at him and began gnashing their teeth. <laughs> but I love this about Stephen, because in this moment after that, he then takes on the posture of Jesus himself. And he does it differently than most of us do. And I... I think somehow in the last 2,000 years, guys, I think we've reversed it. Because in the church, in the widespread church, what I'm seeing is a lot of us tend to be more harsh and judgmental on those people that do not know God yet. 
But here's what I've learned from studying the life of Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was gracious and compassionate to those who did not yet know God. Jesus was so patient with the most sinful of people who did not know him yet. But here's the flip side of that that we also miss sometimes. And sometimes we don't want to admit this, but if you look at his life, it's true. Jesus had no patience. (laughs) He had no patience for people who were around the Scriptures for years, who knew the Bible like the back of their hand, who could quote the Scriptures, who claimed to believe it and claimed to follow Him, and yet their lives looked nothing like it. Their hearts were hardened toward God. He didn't have patience for them. And so what Stephen does is he starts to stir everything up, and he says, look, let's be honest. Let's do a little history review of our people, guys. We've killed every prophet that ever came with the truth, and now we've killed the one that came to save us. Let's be real about that. Now we're resisting his spirit and not living by the things that he said. May we never be allowed in the church to hide behind what we know. Because what we know in here means absolutely nothing if nothing's in here. And if there's no relationship with the one who gave it all for you, it means nothing. It's not about that. See, Christianity as a religion, it only wants part of you. Christianity as a religion, it's like, "Eh, tip God at the end of the service, you're good. You know, go through a few rituals, come once a week, you're good. It's not about that. It's not about any of that. At the core, it's about you. Because if God never wins you, all is lost. I don't care if you believe it or not, every person in this room is recklessly being pursued by the God of the universe. And if he doesn't win you, it's all lost for you. That's it. He loves you that much that he's pursuing you and and you just need to respond, but that's not the point of this part. So Stephen speaks into this and he stirs everything up. And so here's the last section, right? where Stephen stays focused. He just keeps his focus on Jesus. They're throwing stones at him. They drag him out. And as stone is crushing against bone, this is what we find in verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And I love this prayer. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. And then he falls on his knees, guys, as Stones are crushing his bones. He's being stoned to death. And he says, Lord, receive my spirit. And then he prays something that should sound pretty familiar to you guys as he's being stoned to death. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar to what somebody else prayed in his last moments on earth? Not his last moments because he rose from the dead. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do while he's hanging on a cross. You see, Stephen finished his race. He finished his life on his knees being pelted to death and still keeping his focus on Jesus. And I believe that that 
with everything in my being is why Jesus was standing to his feet in that moment. He couldn't just stay seated at the right hand of the Father. He had to rise to his feet because of the way this man was ending his life, keeping his focus exactly where it needed to be. And guys, that's what I want more than anything on this earth is to cross that line one day, whether it's today or 50 years from now, and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because nothing on this earth do I get to take with me across that line except the people that I lead to him. I get to see them there. And what a reunion that's going to be. So what kind of life brings God to his feet? Forget the ending. The beginning, it simply started with serving. It simply started with giving his life away, meeting others' needs, giving himself away to other people. And so guys, if that's stacking chairs, going out and feeding the homeless, or giving somebody the jacket off your back, or serving kids, or loving on teenagers, whatever that looks like, we all need to be serving somewhere. Just giving our lives away to relieve human suffering. It's like, God, just let me do something. Let me be part of your wonderful plan in this short, brief moment that I'm here on earth. Because night is coming when no one can work, so now's the time to work. It says, Stephen opened his eyes and he saw the glory of God. Do you know what that means? I don't know what that means. If you know, you're smarter than me. But maybe there's a clue here. Because somewhere back in John, right, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And when we beheld the word, we beheld his glory. Meaning, the glory of God is Jesus full of grace and truth. That's the glory of God. So could it be that Jesus, that Stephen, excuse me, in that moment, beheld the glory of God because he kept his eyes, he kept his focus on Jesus himself. The glory of God. So anyway, I don't know what scene in life you're in. You could be toward the end of the story, like Stephen, you could be at the very beginning. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that you simply are willing to start somewhere and serve God and serve others because that's the greatest commandment. Love God and love others. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I think that every day that when we wake up, there's a chance for an encore. The curtain goes up again and there's an opportunity to say, okay, God, I'm ready. Bring those opportunities my way. I'm ready to serve. And so what I want to do now as we close you know, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. It's nowhere in there. God doesn't call us to be safe. God doesn't call us to be secure. He doesn't call us to live for convenience. Really, he calls us to a much more uncivilized way of life. And so we don't usually do this kind of thing here, but today's about that, so I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Thank you. So I'm going to say, if you're willing to take that stand and simply say before everybody here that I want to start somewhere, I want to serve like God calls me to serve in some way, serve other people, give my life away. This is about taking a stand. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Because it just starts with starting somewhere and serving. But what we need to do is we need to take the stand and commit to servant, servanthood and start somewhere in this church, in this community, 
with those in need that you know and just make a difference in people's lives. And so if that's you and you're standing, wow, um, I'm going to pray over you right now. So let me do that. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are Lord and we are, we are not. And God, we take the stand. We, we acknowledge that we are living our lives for an audience of one, and that is you. And God, we recognize that every day when we wake up, it's, it's a new curtain call. And there's a new opportunity. It's the last two minutes of the game. It's that moment where there's heightened attention. So God, cause the possibilities to go beyond that moment and into eternity that we would recognize that we don't take any of this with us, God. But with every breath in us, we should push toward what matters in eternity. And God, I know that there are men and women here whose hearts long to take this stand with, with just the slightest hope that one moment, two moments, someday might bring you to your feet. So God, give us the courage to stand and take that risk in moments where you call us out. Would you be with us in a way, and, and may we pursue that relationship with you in such a way that people see right through us and they see you instead. Give us the courage to never compromise, God, to refuse to adhere to the status quo. And God, I pray that because of the people in this church community, that the city of Isilia would see an undeniable witness that you are real and you are present today. Lord, I thank you so much for this crazy, whacked up people <laughs> known as Rise Church. And I'm one of them and I'm so honored. And so God, as we move together into the future, we just pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.